I go from here to be with the Christian Congregational Church out of Reedsville. I can stay in my own room at night and go back and forth. And I've just been in the wonderful Mennonite Church just a few weeks ago in Ohio. I'm a Southern Baptist, always have been. But I don't think in heaven they're going to have a Baptist street and a Methodist street and a Presbyterian street. I'm going to get used to some other streets down here. I don't want to just stick with the Baptist all the time and get over that. I don't know how many is going to make it, but I, I want to sort of know all the brethren as well as possible. I can't remember that the old, um, I can't forget that the Old Testament would have us remember when somebody was complaining about Eldad and Medad. Do you remember ever reading about them? God said, I wish, Moses said, I wish they were more like them. People had been criticizing them. And then in the New Testament, some of the disciples came up to Jesus and said, there's some other fellows over here preaching don't belong to our evangelistic association. Jesus said, if they're not against us, they're for us. That ought to take care of it, seems to me. So pray for me. I'm most of the time with our crowd. I go to a lot of conferences and so on. I wondered when I told those Mennonites in Ohio and I went out of 80 degree weather in Florida, up there where it felt like 80 below, and I said, what am I doing going up here? Don't know a soul there. Had one of the best weeks I ever had in my life. Those Mennonite people were marvelous. So, continue to uh, remember this ministry. I uh, want tonight to uh, call your attention to two verses that have been much argued over. In fact, the Bible scholars have never come to any agreement at all on what this means. And I'm not presuming to say that I have the final and absolute answer. But it's one of those strange verses. Matthew 11:18. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it before us. And then Luke 16:16. 16, 16, the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the kingdom of heaven is preached, and every man presseth into it. And these two, and especially that first one, caused a good deal of comment among the brethren. Some think it means that the, when Jesus came, he was persecuted, and the disciples suffered violence at the hands of their enemies. Well, of course they did. But I don't think that's what it means. <clears throat> and Alexander McLaren thought that when Jesus came, the people misunderstood the nature of his kingdom, thought it was to be earthly now, and they rushed in as if to take it before us. But others, and I belong to them, feel that we have a picture here of the public reaction to the ministry of John the Baptist and of Jesus. Something very strange. When Jesus came, the rulers and the scholars stood aloof in their proud superiority. But the common people heard his message gladly. And the very ones who should have been the first to recognize the Savior never knew him. They were so meticulous in their religious observances and in keeping their phylacteries straight and uh, straining out nets and swallowing camels. Uh, that uh, in all their ritual they had no reality 
and they missed the meaning of it while tax collectors and Samaritans and lepers and thieves and lame folks and the woman in the crowd and uh, Zacchaeus and the Syrophoenician woman and the paralytic and Mary Magdalene and the man born blind, all of them came in pell-mell and took the kingdom of folks and what a motley mob it was. And when Jesus appointed the twelve apostles, why in the world didn't he pick uh, twelve rabbis and have already educated team, but he picked those poor fellows, including poor old Simon Peter. I'm glad he's in there for my own personal encouragement, of course, because I find so many points of similarity between them. But why didn't he pick somebody that was educated and all that sort of thing? You couldn't find a plainer crowd those fishermen and that tax collector and that fellow who had been with the radical group and one who was a devil, as Jesus himself said. I don't presume to understand all that, but the very Bible teachers who knew when he would come and where he would come and how he would come didn't know him when he did come. And while the scandalized scribes and Pharisees stood on the sidelines shaking their head, the rabble, and it was a rabble, crowded in and the violent took the kingdom by force. Now Jesus was not in the pulpit and drooling platitudes to sleepy church members who had sat up too late for the uh, late, late, late night show and were half asleep during the sermon. But Jesus was outdoors uh, by a mountain or by a lake with the sky for a roof and everybody was welcome. And it began that way and it lasted that way for centuries. I think of Savonarola, that great preacher on the streets of Florence. And I think of George Whitfield, who wasn't welcome in the church, but stood outdoors, that mighty preacher. And John G. Whittier said, Lo, by the Mary Mac, Whitefield stands in the temple that never was made by hands. Uh, curtains of azure and crystal wall and dome of sunshine over all. Up and down the world he went, a John the Baptist crying repent and the people came to hear him and John Wesley same way and even a big preacher by the name of Roland Hill didn't like Wesley Hill was a great man of God and they do differ sometimes he said Wesley and his lay lovers go forth to poison the minds of men with his ragged legion of preaching tinkers scavengers draymen and chimney sweeps making fun of the crowd that he had with him you know, that was a strange time. The Puritans had all been buried and the Methodists hadn't been born. And you, anybody living in that time was in a bad way till something happened. Well, thank God it did. And while the clergy looked askance, the multitudes were going out of the factories of Eden and England. They turned the country upside down. People would come down the streets singing uh, the great Charles Wesley hymns. He breaks the power of cancer, sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood avails for everyone. His blood avails for me. And I don't think we've got it in our songbook here. We've got over a thousand tongues to sing. What number is that? But I, I, I hope that I'm mistaken. We'll have to apologize. It's 129. We're not going to sing it now. But I don't know why the Baptist and most of these that I've found. Uh, yes, it's not there. And I don't know why they left it out because it's my favorite. Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ. Ye blind, behold your Savior come, and leave ye lame for joy. 
The violin took it before us in those days. Back in 1878, H.A. Gordon was at Clarendon Church in Boston. And that was one of those ivy-clad closed corporations that even didn't want to have strangers welcome on the church folders. I tell you, they were satisfied with themselves. And they had a quartet choir, which somebody called the Icebox. And uh, they named the church the Saints Everlasting Rest. Some of them did, because nobody ever got aroused there. And then old D.L. Moody came along, uneducated but full of the Holy Spirit, and set up a tabernacle 300 feet away from the church. They ran excursion trains. They visited 70,000 homes. And in the center stood Clarendon Church like a cemetery temporarily occupied by troops in battle. They didn't know what to do with all these new converts coming over there wanting to join the church from the other side of town, not a social set, but they came and such a revival had broken out that it turned that deep freeze into a power plant. And uh, uh, I, I know some churches that need something like that to happen today. The Welsh revival of the 1900s, the violin took it before us. People, just the common people, and the, the preachers didn't have to decide what to do to the the folks showed them what to do. They had no advertising. They had no choir. They had no songbooks. They didn't have a preacher most of the time. But the churches were crowded day and night. Campbell Morgan came and sat out there. He didn't get to preach. Uh, Gypsy Smith came to look on. He didn't get to preach. General Booth of the Salvation Army came out. They didn't ask him to preach. They didn't need big preachers. Cultural events had to close down and athletic events had to close. Wouldn't you like to see something that stops some World Series or someone just for, uh, to let them know who's around? We were here first, you know. Don't, <laughs> don't forget that. And uh, the violent were taking the kingdom before us. And then the Salvation Army came along and Vachel Lindsay has written a wonderful poem on General Booth enters heaven. He led boldly with his big bass drum. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? The saints smiled gravely as they said, He's come, walking lepers, followed rank on rank, lurching braves from the ditches dank, drabs from the alleyways, drug fiends pale, minds still, passion-ridden, soul powers frail, vermin-eaten saints with moldy breath, uh, unwashed legions from the ways of death. Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? That was the song they always played beat on the drums going down the street. General Booth led a violent crowd that practically took the kingdom before us. I like that phraseology, whatever the scholars say that it makes. And then not so long since, when God wanted somebody to shake America with the gospel, who did he pick? A baseball player who had no education again, Billy Sunday, and his sprawling tabernacles, 20,000, about as many as could hear him under the circumstances of that time, and Homer Rodeaver led the singing, and I got to be a close friend of Rody at the Winona Lake, and he said, man alive, with 20,000 people out there in front of you trying to make the back row sing along with the front row and people kicking up sodas and everything else down the aisle wasn't easy. And they didn't have anything to go by but a trombone to set the pitch. And yet God was there, and old Billy said he didn't have a speaker's voice. He just yelled at them, and somehow they knew what he was saying all the time. A marvelous thing. And uh, uh, they uh, didn't have to have many committees or anything of the sort. Everybody wanted to hear the preaching of the gospel. Stonewall Jackson, I'm told, during the Civil War, 
one night, got together some of his engineers and said, we've got to have a bridge across this river by morning. Well, the engineers got together and started considering that up in the tent. And an old uh, blacksmith got a few soldiers together down there and said, I think we can do it. And they got some logs and some stones together and had a bridge up by morning. Makeshift, not much to look at, but an army could have gone across on it. And he went up to the general's tent and said, General, the bridge is ready. Well, who are you? Well, the bridge is ready. And he said, you mean we can go now? Yes. And he said, where are the engineers? Oh, he said, they're still up in the tent drawing pictures of the bridge. <laughs> we got a lot of folks in our church work today. Oh, they're still drawing pictures. And here was this, we need some engineer who doesn't know how. And let God use him for the glory of God. Uh, in Indianapolis one time, Indiana, they had a conference on how to reach the masses. Well, they were having a great conference down here in some sort of a building and discussing how. And uh, Moody came along again, got up on a goods box there, and had, I think Sankey was with him and sang, and the crowd gathered, the crowd gathered, the crowd gathered. And the policeman finally had to say, you're blocking traffic, so they moved. And somebody said, well, there's an empty building down here where they're having a conference with nobody there now. So let's go down there. And they went and filled that place, uh, so running over. And presently, it's time for them to meet. And they said, you have to get out of here. We're having a meeting on how to draw the masses. And they already had the thing running over. Oh, I get a lot of joy out of reading things like that. How God turns our little tables upside down, sends somebody along didn't know a thing in the world about it. And then say what you and I know Billy Graham does it in a little more refined and elegant way, but he hasn't had the seminary training, and he's not an orator by that yardstick, plain preaching of the gospel. But there's nothing in this world whole, uh, for preaching or speaking that holds a crowd. And he couldn't continue in tabernacles, and they can't stay long because it costs a lot to rent arenas and all that sort of thing. But there's another. I remember a time before he was famous when in Raleigh, three of us, Billy and uh, uh, Dr. Charles Howard. No, I don't know. I can't remember a thing about it except all three of us preached that evening. It must have been a long evening. But I can, re I can remember Billy raising up on his toes as though he were not high enough in order to be seen and heard. Well, God's used him so marvelously. There's only one explanation of that boy. That the sovereignty of God. Tell me, will there be another Billy Graham? No, there won't. They never have crown princes who come along after they're gone. There'll be another preacher. They said then we'll never have the day of mass evangelism anymore. It's out. And we've had bigger crowds than ever we've had. The violent take it before. Now that's been true all through the course of history. When John the Baptist came and our Lord came, religious life had reached stagnation. Uh, what they had was that the living faith of the dead had become the dead faith of the living. And the scribes and Pharisees had reduced religion to a set of rules and regulations. They didn't like John the Baptist out in the wilderness, but the people did. And there they were. And when Jesus came, have you noticed that wonderful account of how he cleansed the temple and the response that he got from the... Uh, folks that, that ought to know about it and apparently didn't. Uh, we are told here that uh, he uh, first cleansed the temple. Now that was a holy place, but it needed cleansing because some sharpsters were making money in the premises. 
He took a whip and ran them out. And then sick folks started coming in and he healed them. And the little children took palm branches and began waving them, singing Hosanna. And guess who didn't like it? The religious people. The Pharisees came up to him and said, Here I stand with these, say these kids are making too much racket in the temple. Jesus said, If you never read out of the mouths of babes and sucklings, thou was perfected praise. The better Christian you are, the more childlike you'll be. If we ever get to the place where all our childish church members will turn childlike, we'll have a revival. That's what it is. And all that happened because he went about it, cleansing first when the church is cleansed, when sin is confessed and put away, and when the healing ministry begins, and the children happily sing. There'll be some that'll stand on the outside and say, I don't like this. It's, it's not my way of doing Jesus said, no, but... Matthew 18, 3, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. And I would that we might remember that to this good day. Well, I, I know one thing, that this business of getting our souls saved and pressing through to the kingdom is serious business. Matthew Henry says about this verse, those who would go to heaven must take pains and strive against the stream and press against the crowd that are going the other way. And A.T. Robertson, the great Greek scholar who not only could read Greek like English but thought in Greek, said, Here the meaning clearly is that everyone forces his way into the kingdom of God, a plea for moral enthusiasm and spiritual passion and energy that some affect to, to despise. I'll take what uh, he says. I think he ought to know what he's saying. And I believe it anyhow whether he said so or not. It's a day of cheap faith and easy believism and receivism that leads to this, uh, the worst kind of deceivism. They say, well, the Bible says only believe and come unto me and rest. I know it does. Him that cometh unto me, I know I was cast out. But the same Bible says, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Strive to enter in at the straight gate. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Labor to enter into rest. We need to get that old song out of the dust and get it back in circulation. My soul be on thy guard. Ten thousand foes arise. The hosts of sin are pressing hard to draw thee from the skies. I put that in one of my articles one time, and I had it a thousand. I found I'd missed it by nine thousand, and he didn't name too many anyhow. There are ten thousand foes and devils that will conspire against you if you get dead earnest about Jesus Christ. Dr. R.A. Torres said, those folks who tell us that they have reached some sublime height of faith and trust, so that they no longer know any agony in prayer or in effort, have gotten beyond their Lord on this very matter. And well said it is. Uh, we've, we've got everything today. It has to be quick, instant, instant coffee and meals in a microwave. And uh, positionally, we want, we want to become saints overnight. You do in position, but you don't become a mature saint overnight. It takes time in the sight of God, yes. Salvation is free, but it's not cheap. The gift of God's eternal life, but that coin, like every other coin in the treasury of God, has another side. You never saw a one-sided quarter in your life. Every truth in God's book has the other side, and the other side is discipleship. 
And if you're going to be a Christian, you must realize you're not getting the bargain in something free. It won't go to hell when you die. And that's the extent of it. You haven't got it yet if you haven't got any further than such a notion as that. But you must remember the other side of that coin is to be a disciple and follow Jesus Christ because he said, if you follow me, you must hate father and mother. You have to understand, of course, what that means. And uh, you must forsake everything to follow him. The road's narrow. The way is straight, and few there be that find it. I think of old William Law, that great old saint of other days. He used to get up way before day to pray. Who am I, he said, that I folded up in the bed while the farmers are already at their work, and I'm so far behind with my sanctification. That means I better get up and start early, get my soul readiness for the day. My dear church member friends here tonight, if you're a Christian, you're in business, and that's your business. Now, you may do something else to make a living. You have to, yes. But that's your business, to be a Christian. Some time ago, a fellow came up to me and said, I'm an ordained plumber. That's the first one of them I ever had made. Well, he's right. He's ordained to the service of God. Everybody is. That's not just for the deacons and the preachers. We're all ordained to serve God if we're Christians. That's our business. When are we going to learn that? Uh, uh, we, we'd better take it seriously to heart because love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul. Well, you say, I do trust in the Savior. My life, how about that? You're living some of that yourself your own way. And then to cap the climax, my all. Jesus paid it all. Now, don't sing that so loudly you forget what the next word is. All to him I owe. How about that? No escape from that. I mentioned to you how Alexander McLaren preached to that fashionable crowd of his in London and I didn't mention one thing that he said he said the people like you have heard the gospel until you have become habituated now that's a word that we don't use much you've become habituated to hearing the language of the gospel so that it goes off your back we'd say like water off a duck's back and that's the danger with all of us today I'm amazed at how many times you have that word here in the scripture. If you will get your concordance, it'll have about three pages of here. 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 The Lord wants you to hear something. Hearing they hear not. Did you know you can hear and not hear both at the same time? That's what it says. Hearing they hear not. You can sit in church and hear it and not hear it. You don't hear it as the word of God and apply it to your heart. Jesus said, I'm knocking at the door. If any man hear my voice and open the door. And... Uh, and all the way through it reads like that. Somebody said one reason why we don't have many great preachers today is we don't have many great listeners. People who come to church. How many folks ever go to church saying, Now, Lord, I want a blessing this morning. Bless the preacher and bless something to my heart that I may be a blessing to others. And so we get to where we're trafficking in unfelt truth. Self-deceived. We get drunk, we ain't getting into the church and get baptized. And, uh, uh, we get away from these simple old truths. Uh, I, I'm not going too deep now in this religion business, you know. I don't mind joining church, going when I feel like it. I don't mind being baptized and paying the church dues. <laughs> I mean, whoever started church dues. I mean, and I don't mind all that, but I, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not going all out about religion. I say to them, if you're not going all out, you might as well stay out. 
Because Jesus said, if you're not going all out, you cannot be my disciple. And if you willfully and willingly say, I'll go this far, but I'm not going into the thing too deeply. That's the kind of people who want that go head over heels into it and take the kingdom before us. Old Dr. Lee used to say, if an automobile hasn't had as many parts that wouldn't run as church, churches have members won't work, you couldn't push the thing downhill. And I hardly agree with it. You know, the Bible says that the church is sheepfold. I've been in some remind me more of a zoo. You can find almost any kind of animal in there. I'm not preaching today to the giraffes, you know. I'm preaching to the sheep, down where we can get at it. And so that's what he meant for us to be. We have whittled Jesus Christ down to our size. We've made us a little Jesus today. One that doesn't demand, demand too much of us. We've revised Christianity into a pattern to fit our lives. Well, the early church turned the world upside down until they got into that. I've mentioned that already when Constantine became emperor and the pagans started joining the church. They were so glad to get in all those folk. And they said, well, we can't be as strict now as we were. So we'll lower, lower the bars and lower the standard. Up in New England, they started the halfway covenant years ago in the church. Folks could come in sort of under sponsorship and uh, be straightened out later on. They'd baptize them, and then later on they could instruct them, make Christians out of them. That's not in the Word of God. And they paid a price for that in New England even to this day. Positive thinking and prosperity gospel. Uh, we've, we've taken the cross out. We've hidden it. I heard a song right away. He told me some time ago about, uh, he said we had a, the little service here, the youngsters were to come in on Sunday morning, come up in the pulpit and sing onward Christian soldiers. They were to march down the aisle singing it, come on up singing. And they said, we decided, they decided the last minute they'd like to have a cross apiece. And uh, some of them got hold of a little cross. They wanted to bring that along. We said, no, no, haven't got time for that. And we had to take the crosses away and hide them in the Sunday school room. The kids didn't like that. When they came down the aisle, they were resentful. Onward, Christian soldiers marching us to war with the cross of Jesus hid behind the door. <laughs> I don't blame them. I think I'd have joined them. That's why we've hid the cross today and you can't find it in some fellowships. Hard to find. I remember when I preached it easily and some other of these little towns around here right after Harold Smith got saved. He hadn't been saved but just a little while. I, I was in a meeting and he came one night and I preached except the corn of wheat die it abideth alone. Next morning he was back at prayer meeting <laughs> and he got up and said, well, I buried old Harold Smith last night. Hope he stays buried. <laughs> I said, thank God for a man that started out like that. When he started out, he was 100% he was still is for Jesus Christ. That's the kind of people God can use, and he has, he has used that good man and many others. We have these folks who say, well, I, I try to do my duty. Now, I wouldn't get so excited about that. Because Jesus plainly said that we are unprofitable servants if we do just what was our duty to do. Are you hunted up? It's there in the book. You've got to overdo your duty to even be a, a one servant of the Lord. So if you were running up a little surplus, I don't get proud of it. You're going to have to, to be acceptable in his sight. 
Jimmy Carter tells how when he finished his naval training, he went to old Admiral Rickover in the hopes of promotion. And that stern old Admiral, he was pretty hard to face, said, what were your grades? Well, Jimmy said they weren't the best, they weren't the worst. I was kind of proud of them, thought they were pretty good, and I told him. He said, next question he asked was, did you do your best? Jimmy said, I said, no, Admiral, I, I'm afraid I'll have to say I didn't do my best. And he wheeled in his chair and looked me in the eye and asked one question, why not? And he said, I couldn't think of a thing to say to him, and I backed out of that room, didn't give him an answer. I've thought many times since, that the judgment day, everybody in here is going to have to stand before the great judge. Now, I certainly can't tell him I did my best. Don't you tell me, you can tell him either. Did you do your best? But suppose the master of all good workmen would turn on us and ask, why not? Not a soul in here can face that, and it doesn't seem to bother us much. Oh, well, I do the best I can. Jesus paid it all, but over to him I owe. We need more folks who know how to sing that grand old hymn that uh, we used to sing, Oh, for a thousand tones to sing the great Redeemer's praise. But there's another one. Look it up. Oh, uh, I am resolved no longer to linger. Uh, charmed by the world's delight. That's what keeps some folks from coming down the aisle. This world's got you charmed. Things that are higher, things that are nobler, these have allured my sight. What is that number? We're going to sing it in a minute. But my friends, I'd like to ask you, that, that, that one really puts you on the spot. <clears throat> I'm resolved to go to the Savior, leaving my sin and strife. He is the true one. He's the just one. He hath the words of life. I'm resolved to follow the Savior. How about this? Faithful and true each day. Think you can do that or will you? Heed what he saith. Do what he willeth. He's the living way. And here's the one that ties right in with the verse. I'm resolved to enter the kingdom leaving the paths of sin. Friends may oppose me. Foes may beset me. They certainly will. Still will I enter in. I am resolved, and who will go with me? Come, friends, without delay. Talk by the Bible, led by the Spirit. We'll walk the heavenly way. Now, you've sung that a many a time. I want to ask you one thing tonight. I'm leaving after this meeting, I, n I never know when I have a last chance to speak to people. I'd like to say that I'm not, I, I don't want compliments, appreciate them, but we're better off without them, preachers are. I'd like to know how many people tonight can honestly say, Preacher Havner, uh, you have not, uh, your message has not gone in one ear and out the other. God has spoken to my heart. And I mean to do something about it. Now we can, I, I, I don't want just one of these little regular 
marches down the aisle, and I enjoyed the sermon all like that, which terrifies me sometimes. If you willingly say, I just want those that will come and stand here and let me have a prayer with you before I turn the service over to the pastor. If you're saying deep down in your heart, maybe you got disturbed, maybe you didn't like some of it, but God spoke to you. And you mean to do something about it as of now, and now's the time to start it. I'm not going to beg you to come. I'd rather have ten people down here and say I'll pay the price. If I know my heart, I'm resolved to follow the Savior, faithful and true each day. Heed what he says and do what he wills. That's all.